Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. Well, 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 I was hoping to hop on here and talk about a movie that I really liked, but unfortunately, the movie that I saw this week was Madam Web. Now, there is another movie that I might be seeing tomorrow night. If it's worth talking about or if I have time to talk about it, I might just add that one in at the end of this episode. So if it feels like I recorded two things at two separate times by the end of this, it's probably because I did. But we'll see if I have time to do that. But I'll tell you guys straight up that, yeah, I saw Madam Web. I had heard beforehand that it was one of the worst movies ever made. I had seen clips online, which usually you only see clips of a movie on social media within a week of it releasing if people feel it's not worth protecting others from spoilers. Meaning that it's so bad that they assume nobody's going to see it or that the people seeing it won't mind seeing spoilers because, well... Who cares? It's Madam Web anyway. So that's how this movie was being treated. It was getting the Morbius treatment, I would say. The difference is, with Morbius, I saw that one opening night before all of the other stuff. This one, however, I didn't see until a whole week after it came out. So, bit of a difference there. Now, I know the big question everyone wants me to answer is whether or not this movie is better than Morbius. Well, that is the question. I'm not going to answer it right away, but it should be very obvious the more I talk about it. But first, I just wanted to say that I'm not a huge gamer. Not at all. But I have taken a liking to Remedy games. So I had the game Quantum Break. There's the game Alan Wake that came out, I don't know, 13 years ago, something like that. And then there's the game Control, which is actually connected to Alan Wake. And then they just came out with Alan Wake 2. So in the past year, I played Alan Wake. I replayed Alan Wake, I should say. I played Quantum Break. I played Control. And then I got Alan Wake 2. And I played through that. And I actually just finished that game a couple days ago. And I'll just tell you, as somebody who loves cinema, who loves games that try to tell ambitious stories, which there are only a handful I've ever played where I thought the stories were memorable because a lot of games focus more on the gameplay because, frankly, that's what most people are there for. But this is a game, Alan Wake 2, that I think is much more about the story and much more about the atmosphere than it is about the actual gameplay experience. And for me, I prefer that. For diehard gamers, I don't really know what they prefer. I think it's going to be different for everybody. If you're somebody that really only plays Call of Duty, Fortnite, then yeah, Alan Wake 2 is not going to be for you. But if you're somebody that is more into story-based games, not that this game doesn't have its challenges at points in the gameplay, but largely it prioritizes the storytelling above everything and the visuals and presentation because yeah the game has a killer soundtrack visually it is beautiful especially I was playing it in 8k HDR so it looked amazing and the acting performances are quite good in the game as well so 
all in all, it's probably one of the best pound-for-pound games I've ever played, if not the best. It's very, very good. And it's one that I thought, man, I wish I could have somebody on the podcast to talk all about this, even though it's a video game and this is a film podcast. So that's why I'm not going to dwell too much on Alan Wake 2. But I will tell you guys that straight up, it's a really great game. I thought it told a fascinating story, very unique story, even from the first game, which already had a very unique story. This one felt stylistically so different and that didn't matter to me. It felt like a proper follow-up, a proper sequel to the original game and set up for a much more interesting universe or story going forward because you do see where some of these other games connect and the potential for where they can go with this is just really cool to think about. And another thing is it's a game that does not really spoon feed you with information. There is a lot of mystery and intrigue to this and it doesn't straight up give you answers to everything. There's a lot that you might be online thinking, hey, what does this mean? Hey, what did this character mean when he said this? Or who is this character? Is this character real? And there's just a lot of interesting stuff. So anyway, I have many theories about the game. I'll just tell you, it's a great game if you like that type of game. If you've played it, then you should probably reach out to me and we can talk about it because I have a lot of thoughts, a lot of theories, and I'm excited for where they go with their next game, which should be Control 2. So definitely looking forward to that one. But now back to Madam Web. So yeah, speaking of great storytelling, this movie does not really have that. However, I was led to believe this was one of the worst movies ever made. And so I went in thinking, okay, I'm going to laugh throughout this movie. I'm going to be baffled, bored. I'll be at a point where I'll say, I can't wait until this is over. Which is a shame because I knew a lot of the cast members in this movie. And I wanted better for them than to be in one of the biggest bombs of the year. So front and center in this movie is Dakota Johnson, who... I've heard as a total freak weirdo in real life, but hey, you know what? I like her as an actress, and I heard some people saying that she was not so great in this movie. Not that it was her fault, but that she was not so great. I don't really know about that. She's fun enough in her role. She, of course, is Madam Webb. Her real name is Cassie Webb, but of course, this movie is an origin for Madam Webb, who is a big character in the Spider Man universe. And that's one thing I'll say right away and I might talk about later, is that this movie felt like a big setup for I really don't know what. Because it introduces Madam Web, but I'm like, yeah, but where are you going with this? Because I don't see it going anywhere interesting or anywhere bankable at the box office. This feels like a weird movie to make. I don't really know what the end game is here. But outside of Dakota Johnson, there's also Sydney Sweeney, who has been in a couple things that I've watched recently. And then there's also Celeste O'Connor and Isabella Merced. Also in this film is Tahar Rahim, who plays Ezekiel Sims, who is kind of, not kind of, he's the bad guy of the movie. And the entire premise is, I don't know, interesting enough, I guess, because it opens up with Cassie's mom in the Amazon, with this guy, Ezekiel Sims, who is supposed to be protecting her, and Cassie's mom is trying to find this thing that can give healing powers of some sort, and she says could save a lot of lives. 
But once she finds this, Ezekiel Sims shoots everyone else and shoots her and leaves her for dead with that item or thing of power, and he's gone. And then there are these weird jungle people who kind of dress and move like spiders, and they don't save Cassie's mom, but they help her deliver Cassie because Cassie's mom is pregnant with Cassie in the Amazon. And they tell her mom, one day, when she has questions, we'll be here. I'm thinking, okay, interesting. So she's probably going to have some supernatural abilities. And yeah, she ends up getting these abilities later in the movie, not to explain every plot beat, but there's so much that happens in this movie, man. I just got to tell you. But there's a part where Cassie almost dies and she's underwater And then there's this little cosmic moment that happens where it's like she's tapped into this web of power that she's never seen or felt before. And then soon after, she starts seeing the future. And at first it's like, you know, 30 seconds in the future. Then it's maybe a couple minutes. And it progressively gets more and more extreme Until at one point, she sees these three girls that are all on the train with her are all about to be murdered by who else but Ezekiel Sims. And on Ezekiel Sims' side, it's very simple. He also can sort of see the future. Not the extent of Cassie, but I know that he sees a vision of these three girls all in spider suits, and it's them killing him. And so he's like, I got to kill them before they get powers and they later kill me. So that's kind of his end game is kill these three teenage girls. But Cassie now realizes that she is seeing into the future and she sees these girls. Then she sees that guy walking up on the train. And so she's like, all right, I got to step in and save these girls lives. And the rest of the movie kind of goes from there. You see her discover her powers a bit more and more as the movie goes on, and you see her build her relationship with these three girls who are all immature in their own ways. Sydney Sweeney is a big freaking dork because she has glasses. Celeste O'Connor's character is kind of rebellious. Isabella Merced's character is super smart, and so she knows a bunch of math and science stuff. And they all have to work together in order to survive and then defeat Ezekiel Sims, who has the deadly power of having every line in the movie dubbed. Yeah, so that is one thing. In the first five minutes of this movie, I went, oh boy, this is about to be so bad. And it's because Ezekiel Sims starts talking and every single line sounded dubbed to the point that they had him out of focus in one of the shots that he's talking, and I can see his mouth isn't even moving, and there's dialogue coming out. And I thought, that's really odd. And then at another point in the movie, he has his mouth moving, but the words coming out do not match. And then there's another part where he's whispering in a woman's ear, but the dialogue coming out is the same volume as the dialogue through the other 97% of the movie. I'm telling you, I thought I was losing my mind. And so I said, okay, surely somebody else noticed this. And so I went on social media and what do you know, a few other people were saying, wow, this is perplexing. What happened to his dialogue? Did they dub over every single line in this movie? Which is a very Sony thing to do, by the way. So the Sony Marvel movies 
have been so meddled with over the last, I don't know, 15 plus years, more than that, actually. Even dating back till Spider-Man 3, directed by Sam Raimi, which was 07. But that movie was so meddled with by the studio that they never made Spider-Man 4, and Sam Raimi and the studio ended up parting ways from there on. Then they rebooted the character with the amazing Spider-Man. So I'm about to give you guys a whole rundown here, by the way. But they rebooted with the amazing Spider-Man. They brought in Mark Webb, who I thought was a very good director that they partially brought in because his last name is Webb. But they brought him in to do the amazing Spider-Man after having a hit movie in 500 Days of Summer. Now, going from a 10 to $15 million rom-com in 500 Days of Summer to directing a $200 million Spider-Man movie is kind of a lot. Going from managing maybe 50 to 100 people on set to managing 300 to 500 people on set is a huge, huge jump. And then going from answering to maybe one studio executive to about six or seven, and one of them being Avi Arad, again, complicates things a lot. So that first Amazing Spider-Man movie, there was a whole backstory for Kurt Connors, who is the lizard in that movie. He's the main villain of the movie. But there's a whole backstory that they cut out where you end up just getting to the third act and it's like, yeah, this guy wants to turn everyone into lizards. And you kind of think, wow, there's got to be more than that, right? Yeah, there was. There was like a whole other 20 minutes of movie with his character. So yeah, they really cut that down. Also, if you see the first teaser to that movie, the color is a lot more vivid in the teaser than in the final movie where it's kind of washed out, a little bit grayed out. And the reason is they wanted it to look like Twilight. And so they tried to put a Twilight-style filter over the entire movie. And when I say they wanted it, I mean the studio wanted it. Sony wanted it. And then The Amazing Spider-Man 2, there was a lot forced into that movie. They changed the entire third act of the film, or the last like 10 minutes of the movie. Gwen Stacy was going to die no matter what, but the way that it happened and the aftermath of her death, very different. In the original cut of the movie, Peter Parker's dad, Richard Parker, actually resurfaces at the end and has a sit down with Peter and gives him the with great power comes great responsibility talk. And that was going to set up for future movies. Also, Mary Jane was in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but they cut her completely out in favor of shoehorning in some Sinister Six setup because they thought, yes, we can do a Sinister Six spinoff movie, which doesn't really make sense. I get if you want them to be the villain of The Amazing Spider-Man 3, if you want it to be Spider-Man versus the Sinister Six, but instead they're like, we got The Amazing Spider-Man 3, and then we've got the Sinister Six movie. So I don't know. There were a lot of baffling decisions with The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I still love both of those movies, but it is a shame because the studio really held those movies back, in my opinion. But then you jump ahead to the Venom movies. The first Venom movie was directed by Ruben Fleischer, who did Zombieland 1 and 2. And look, I don't think he's the best director, but I kind of got why they got him. It's because they wanted Venom to be funny, but they also wanted it to be kind of dark and violent. And a guy who did Zombieland is kind of perfect for that type of movie. But instead, they decided, you know what? R-rated movies don't make a ton of money. Let's make this a PG-13 movie. 
which meant reshooting the movie and cutting it down, moving the release date, I'm pretty sure. It did not release when it was originally supposed to. But reworking the movie into a PG-13 movie. Reworking what was supposed to be a hard R horror comedy into a PG-13 action blockbuster. And then they went ahead with Venom Let There Be Carnage. They said, we learn from our mistakes. They got Andy Serkis to direct it. And again, they said, this one, we're going to lean into it. It's going to be a lot more violent, a lot more scary, which a lot of people assumed meant that this one would be R-rated. And then again, it was PG-13. And you find out later, seeing some of the previs stuff and some of the storyboards that, yes, this one was also intended to be R-rated. And instead, it ended up being a 95-minute PG-13 movie, same as the first. And then you get to Morbius. And that one is the biggest shame. And there's some stuff that I don't know about. But what I do know is that they were trying to connect their Sony Marvel Universe to the Tom Holland Spider-Man Universe, the MCU, basically. They wanted it to at least cross over enough where Tom Holland could be in their movies or that they could have Spider-Man in their movies, at least. And that meant that they had shot an extended thing in Morbius to connect those movies, more or less. And then they realized, oh, wait, we can't do this. Let's scrap it all, but still release the movie. So literally, the entire second act of the movie was removed. They reshot a post-credit scene, had some dialogue dubbed in to try and salvage a bit of what they were going for. But yeah, Morbius, I think, ended up being like an hour and 40-something minutes. It was supposed to be over two hours, and there was definitely more to that movie. That being said, I don't think any of these movies are terrible, necessarily. Venom is fun. It's not good, but it's fun. Venom Let There Be Carnage is fun. It's not good, but it's fun. The Amazing Spider-Man movies I actually think are pretty good, and I enjoy them a lot. Spider-Man 3, directed by Sam Raimi, same case. I like that one a lot. And then you have Morbius, which, yes, most people associate Morbius with the memes. They think, oh, it's the worst movie ever. I'd have people say, oh, what would you think of Morbius? Expecting me to just go in and dump on Morbius. But no, honestly, I think it's all right. I think it's fine. I actually like it better than both Venom movies. Now, I get why people would not, because the Venom movies are at least funny. And Morbius is not really funny. Not in an intentional way, at least. But honestly, I just liked Morbius more. I liked what it was going for more. I would rather a movie have swings and misses than a movie that feels like it was playing it safe for the audience, which I feel the Venom movies feel a little more safe at times, and I don't really love that. Whereas Morbius, it felt like there were more swings and misses, and not all of it was at the fault of the director of that movie or even the writers. The writers, who, by the way, they brought along to write Madam Web. <laughs> and so it's like, wow, if you thought Morbius was bad, I mean, they brought the same writers and then they brought in a director who had never done a big screen picture before. I was looking through her filmography and she has only done TV episodes of shows. And so it's not to say she's a bad director, but it is kind of tough to take somebody who has only worked within the confines of somebody else's show and was shooting. 40-minute episodes for them, 40 to 50-minute episodes for them, and then say, hey, here's $150 million, shoot us this blockbuster starring all these actors and actresses, some that are up and coming, 
and one in Dakota Johnson that's pretty established at this point. I would not envy that job, and I think that she was in a little overhead, and it's not really her fault. I would have taken the money to do that movie as well. And there's always the chance that you pull the rabbit out of the hat and the movie's a huge hit, and then they're like, wow, who's this director? But yeah, that was not the case here, unfortunately. So I mentioned that there was the dubbing that was really weird with Ezekiel Sims. I don't know if maybe he had a thicker accent originally and then they dubbed over everything so his accent was not as extreme or if they just made major changes to the story because that's what Sony does with all of their movies. They chop them up, they reshoot stuff, they rewrite stuff all the way till the last minute when they finally release the movie and then people walk out, they say, wow, that was interesting but it was kind of a jumbled mess yeah i could tell you why (laughs) and i'm not gonna blame the directors i'm not even going to blame the writers even if i think that the writers that they got weren't the best i can't really blame them it's sony okay it's these producers they're greedy they meddle too much they suck that's not the case for every producer that's not the case for every sony project but when it comes to the sony marvel stuff yeah man It's rough on the live action side. It is rough. I do not envy any director that has to work under those circumstances. But anyway, yes, the dubbing was bad. The story itself, I didn't think it was that jumbled, honestly. I saw people saying that they had no idea what was going on, and that always throws me off because to me it's like, let's be real here, guys. If you had a hard time keeping track of Madam Web... You've got bigger problems than watching a bad movie. I'm sorry. Like, there are very few movies I've watched in my lifetime that were so incoherent that I had no idea what I was watching. Like, most movies I could at least somewhat keep track of. I tend to find that better-made films tend to be a little more convoluted or confusing at times until you get to the end and you go, Oh, that's what's going on. Okay. And then it clicks and the movie clicks. And then sometimes it doesn't really click. And you're like, I don't know how I feel about that movie. And then maybe one day it clicks and you say, you know what? I actually like that movie. But it's very rare that a dumb movie that's not very good is also hard to follow. There can be lapses in logic in a movie where you say, wow, the bullet hurts this guy here, but it doesn't hurt him here. Or, wow, how'd they know to go to this diner at this point in time? That seems like a weird coincidence. Yeah, there can be dumb moments that don't make a lot of sense. But when people are like, I don't even know what's going on in this movie. I was lost the whole time. Like, I don't know, man. I think you were lost way before this movie even started. (laughs) If that was the case. I don't know. I'm just trying to be fair to Madam Web here. I'll say, yeah, it's not the best written movie, but is it incoherent? No, I don't think so. I was able to follow it just fine. Is it good? No, I don't think so. But at the same time, I wasn't checking my watch the whole time. Not that I literally do that, typically. Every so often I will, though, where I'm like, hmm, what time is it? And what time did this movie start? Okay, there should only be about 30 minutes left. Okay. But for the most part, even though I didn't think it was good, I was like, you know what? I really don't know where this is going, so... I'm kind of just watching it. I'm just vibing. I don't know. I wasn't at a point where I was thinking, oh, I should walk out of this outside of the first five minutes. First five minutes, I was thinking, ooh, I don't know if I can do two hours of this, which, yeah, I'll tell you guys, it is a full two hours. Not usually the case with movies that get reshot a ton, but this one is a full two hours. 
But the first five minutes, what threw me off was just the dubbed over dialogue for Ezekiel Sims. And it was so comically bad that I was thinking, oh boy, this movie is really bad. But then he's not on screen again for another 20 minutes. And so that was fine. Anytime he was on screen, though, I was always just thinking like, man, what the hell happened here? I really want to know, but I don't know if we ever will get answers to that. I have no idea why his voice even sounded the way it sounded. It's just, I don't know. That was baffling. So that was bad. The characters, I don't know. They're not overly likable, but they're not entirely unlikable either. So I was fine with him. I was just like, yeah, let's see if they can take down Ezekiel Sims, I guess. I was along for the ride. There is a Britney Spears needle drop. Not just that, it kind of plays that song twice because Cassie is looking up ahead or she's seeing the future and that song's playing. And then when she actually goes through that moment, that song is again playing. So I can never knock on a movie that has a Britney Spears toxic needle drop. It's a classic song, definitely a classic. So not going to hate on any movie that has that. Also, also... Adam Scott is in this movie, and spoiler, not really a spoiler, I don't know, I think he's listed as Ben in the credits, but yeah, he is Uncle Ben. This movie takes place in 2003, so it's before Peter Parker is born, but Adam Scott, who I like, plays Uncle Ben, and I'll say, I actually liked his character, and maybe it's just because I like Adam Scott, but I thought every scene with him was actually pretty decent. I didn't have any issues with his scenes. I thought they were all pretty good. And it was during those scenes where I said, okay, this isn't the worst movie ever because I like Adam Scott in this. So it's not entirely terrible by any means. And Dakota Johnson's fine too. She's fun at times. But also, Uncle Ben, you meet his sister-in-law, who is Mae Parker. Now, this is a spoiler because even though she was at the premiere and was advertising the movie a ton, and even though it was leaked that she was in this movie on Twitter, Reddit, probably Tumblr, MySpace, everywhere, it was never officially put out there. So if you don't want to hear any Madam Web spoilers, then just tune out for the next 30 seconds. But Mae Parker is played by Emma Roberts, who some of you know, I love Emma Roberts. But she's pregnant with Peter in this movie. And the whole time I'm just thinking there, oh, I got to get you out of here. You're stuck in the Sony Marvel Universe. You don't belong in there. So it kind of hurt me to see her in this role because I kept thinking, oh, Emma, you can do so much better. So much better. But yeah, she's in the movie. As far as other things that I liked about it, um, let's see. I mean, I'm really having a hard time thinking. The score is actually okay, although I saw people saying that it was straight up a ripoff or just a total copy of the Insomniac Spider-Man theme song. So I don't really know about that because I haven't played the Insomniac Spider-Man games. I wish I could, but I can't afford a PlayStation But the composer is a Swedish composer, which means that when I say his name out loud, I might be summoning demons. I have no idea. But it's Johan Sutterquist. And by the way, I checked a million pronunciation guides. There were like two that pronounced it differently. And I also said it incorrectly, I'm sure. But you guys can look it up. I'll just say he's mostly only scored video games in the past, and I'll say his score for this movie is actually pretty good, but some people were claiming that he just stole the whole flow of the Insomniac Spider-Man theme, 
I don't know anything about that, so I'm not going to speak on it. I'm just going to put that out there. If you are somebody that is familiar with the Insomniac Spider-Man theme, and you saw Madame Web, or at least have heard the score or the main theme, maybe you can fill me in, but I don't know. But yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, anything else that's great about this movie. I don't really think that there's anything great, but as far as stuff that's bad, okay, the ADR is bad. Is the story a bit jumbled? I guess, I don't know. I kind of expect that with comic book movies because the source material is so weird that it is going to be a little bit all over the place if you don't have a master filmmaker behind the camera. Like if you go into a comic book movie today expecting The Dark Knight, I'm sorry, you're just not going to get that. But would I say this movie is that much worse than most other comic book movies I've seen in the last five years? I really don't think it's that big of a downgrade. Okay, I'll say four years because five years we are getting into territory that most people were still liking a lot of comic book movies, but we'll say last three or four years where people have started to sour on a lot of comic book movies coming out. So is this a good movie? No, it's not. I said that right away. It's not a good movie. Is it a fun movie like in a so bad it's good type of way? No, I don't think it's really that either. I was expecting a so bad it's good or so bad it's at least entertaining where I could rant about it on my podcast, but it wasn't really that. And honestly, I'm not the type to just go on and bash a movie like crazy for no reason. I'll say that there are a couple of things that were bad. The main thing was just that ADR was bad. The visuals don't usually look that good. But this is by no means the worst movie I've ever seen. It's not good. It's definitely one of my least favorite movies of the year. But actually, even then, that's kind of tough because I've disliked most movies I've seen this year. So it's towards the bottom. It's probably going to finish towards the bottom of my movies this year. But it's not as bad as I thought it would be. It's just not good to me. That's my fair review. Now, is it better than Morbius? No, because as I said, I actually liked Morbius on first watch. On rewatch, I was able to see, okay, I get the issues some people had. It does feel like the second act is entirely missing, and that's because it literally is. But do I think Morbius was the worst movie ever? No. It was like in the same tier as a lot of 2000s Marvel movies, back when they had like Ghost Rider, Daredevil, Fantastic Four, all of those movies coming out. Before they really found their flow with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I would say Morbius fits in really well with that brand of superhero movie where it's like, well, I don't really know where they were going with this one other than they just want to make a cool movie about a cool character and the movie ended up just being kind of cool in moments, but not great overall. But yeah, I don't really have much more to say about Madam Web. So was this a good origin movie at least? I don't know. I guess if you're completely unfamiliar with the character Madam Web, this sort of introduces you to her, but not even the version of her that you would see throughout Spider-Man comics or animation, anything like that. So again, I really don't know where they're going with this franchise because especially with who they cast as May Parker, that I thought was weird because I said, well, that's a pretty big name to have in such a small role. But who knows? Sony's the ultimate studio with no plan where they're just running around doing nothing half the time. We'll see where they go from here. But it is very disappointing. A lot of movies that have come out so far this year have been not good and they have been flops at the box office. And I hate to see that. I hate to see that. 
I'm hoping that Dune is able to turn things around very soon, which might be my next episode. Don't quote me on that, but I believe my next episode will be Dune Part 2, so we'll see. But that's going to be a wrap for Madam Web. I don't think I'm going to add anything else to this episode. I think it's just going to be Madam Web for this week. But I appreciate you guys tuning in. If you are not already, then please give this podcast a follow on whatever you are listening on right now. And also give me a follow on Instagram. You can find me under the username at vitamin C pod. There you can find updates both on this podcast and on movies in general. I thank you guys again for tuning in. You will hear from me next week.